just because it says the call to the ministry doesn't mean that all you ladies can just start uh, using your cell phones. But we are going to talk about the call to the ministry. And uh, the text is up here on the screen if you want to read it out of your Bible. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> Paul has, <clears throat> Paul has went down to uh, Ephesus. Where did he go? <laughs> Antioch. Antioch. Uh, that's, just, that's just age. We'll blame it on. It's really COVID. Uh, everything gets blamed on COVID, so that's probably what was. <clears throat> Silas has called him down to help, and uh, Barnabas, and while they're there in the church, it says, now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucy the Cyrene, the Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein you have called them. And when they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. And so you see here, in this phrase here, the Holy Spirit says, I have called them. And so we're going to talk about the call to the ministry. And this is an old story that you've heard before from me, but uh, from time to time, we hear someone that has declared that he has been called to preach, and just what does that mean? And what kind of call is it? Is it vocal? Is it emotional? And how can we know that it's genuine? And there's a story told of a young country boy that came to his pastor relating that he had been called to the ministry. Upon questioning of how it came about, the young man told the pastor about seeing the letters PC formed distinctly in the clouds and concluded it would mean nothing else but to preach Christ. The pastor, pondering for a moment, said, No, son, you read it wrong. I'm sure the clouds were saying plow corn. And so, uh, an oft-repeated but the point is, there's got to be much more than just seeing letters in the clouds when it deals with a call to the ministry. And uh, <clears throat> such a study, why would we study this? It, because it only applies to men, and it only applies to a few men. And we could think that... Uh, that it's not necessary for a church as a group. But I think that we need to understand that a church is like a, a seed bed or an incubator uh, for preachers. That every member plays a part in men being called to the ministry. Not that they call, but they can pray for them, they can encourage them, 
as a group that can nurture them. And above all, every member of the church can love their preacher. There should be a sense in which uh, Brother Lambert and Brother Noah George is ours, and they always will be. Even though Brother Lambert pastors his own church, he's still ours, and when he comes here, there should be a sense that he's ours. You know, there's an attachment there. It's almost like uh, one of your kids has graduated and gone on and, and become gainfully employed, uh, but still they're ours, and the, uh, there's, a, there's a sense, I think, that sometimes we don't grasp it, like I said, that, uh, that a church ought to be an incubator, it ought to be a seedbed, it ought to be a home uh, for preachers, and that, uh, and that goes beyond just the Bible Institute that the church may have to train preachers. I'm sure that uh, if Noah was here, he would he would relate to you some of the uh, blessings from uh, different members of the church, like Sister Adams, who always had a heart for Noah, and to realize that that they're not alone, that they're not the lone rangers or the lone strangers. And so I think it's a really important for a church as a body, a New Testament body of Christ, to sense that uh, they're a part of us, that we're identified with them. And when the laying on of hands took place, it was, a, it was an identification that Noah was identified with this church. I recently heard of a man who had transferred membership, a missionary, to another church, and he'd been a member there for four or five years uh, out of that church, and maybe even longer, maybe 10, 15 years. And then a new pastor came, and this man had actually purchased some property in a city that was a number, a couple hundred miles away from his home church, and because he had a house there that he was letting his son live in, and he had property there, uh, he petitioned his pastor that he would just join down there because it'd be closer to where his property is. And uh, that's between him and the Lord. But this strikes me as something wrong with that, that when you can just uh, move from the church that sent you out to another church when you don't have any ties there and except for property. And so... Whether that's right or wrong is none of my business, but I'm just simply saying that if we don't have an attachment to God called men out of our church, there's something wrong. And maybe we need to even, you know, gear that up a little bit more. We know that pastors in contact with our missionary brother Noah all the time, but we ought to, uh, we ought to see him as one of ours and and we find that later on we'll look at some scripture. But Paul came back to his home church and stayed, stayed there for a while. Another thing I want to point out is that, uh, that we shouldn't see the call to the ministry, that if a man calls to the, is called to the ministry, we shouldn't make this division of there's 
there's doers and there's pewers. Uh, that pewers being those that sit in the pew. No, God has called some for a specific ministry, uh, the doers, but we're all doers. That we're all our servants, and each of us have a job to do. Uh, Paul pleaded with the Romans, I beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God has been merciful to you, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And then uh, the great passage over there, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you say through faith, that are yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it goes on and said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so this call uh, to the ministry is not uh, for some to do more and some to do less, but we each have a job. And uh, just as he talks about in 1 Corinthians, that we're part of the body of Christ, and one part of the body can't say to another part of the body, I have no need of you. We could say, you know, you're a mouthpiece, or you're an eye, or you're an ear body, part of the body, and I'm just a big toe, and so, you know, I'm, I don't amount to anything. But cut off your big toe and see how well you walk. And so we're all necessary. <clears throat> now, when we talk about the call uh, of God, there is, a, there is a general call and then a specific call. And a general call would be what we would think that applies to, to all uh, people. There's a general call uh, to, to salvation that God calls all mankind. In Matthew, it says, But go, into, but go, ye, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so we're, we're called to salvation. There's a general call to all the world to repent and be saved. That uh, Galatians says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, Timothy says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. And so everybody, uh, if you're here this, today and you're not saved, he's calling you. Those that are outside of this building, the Lord is calling. And so God is very active in this world. And on a day-by-day -day basis, there's a general call that goes out to all mankind. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Come. And, and, and that call is, is to, to all mankind. Uh, it's a call out of darkness and a call into fellowship. First Peter says, Be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that means a people of his own, not strange. That he should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. And we really don't realize how marvelous that light is until we realize how dark it was at where we were at. And that God has called us out of that sinful, dark condition into a marvelous light. And now, now because I have this light, I understand the world. I understand what is right and wrong, but I understand purpose when before 
I just dwelt in, uh, in limbo land, in a sense. We're called into fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says that he called us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we talked this morning about how that fellowship can be broken when we have unconfessed sin in our life. But God wants to fellowship with us, that there can be a closeness, there can be an actual reality that God lives within us, that Christ liveth in me, and that that can be experienced, not some kind of spine-tingling experience, not some kind of fuzzy electrical thing, but the presence of God on a day-by-day basis and him communing with my spirit that I am his and he is mine. And so there's that call. There's a call also to a, to a worthy, to be saints, that when God calls us, uh, saves us, saints means to be separated. It has to do with the word holy. Saint also means to be pure. And so when God saves us, there's a responsibility upon us. There's a call upon us. If you're God's children here uh, this afternoon, God wants you to live a holy life. God wants you to be separated unto him, uh, that, he, that he has purchased us. What? Know you not? You body, the temple of the Holy Ghost was in you, which you have God, and that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, that, that we, we are called uh, to be saints. And Romans says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. First Corinthians, Paul starts that letter out the same way. And he says, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And so that's that general call to our life. Salvation, to be saints. And not like the Catholic saints, that they label different people of their church. They deify them as saints. But no, we're all to be saints. We're all to be holy. We're all to be pure. We're all to be separated unto the Lord. And what goes with that, as we have on the board, is what is a worthy walk. In 1 Thessalonians, that ye should, would walk worthy of God. In 2 Thessalonians, worthy of his calling, that count you worthy of his calling. Ephesians says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And so we're to walk as saints, that, that we're to be different, that we're to be separated. That's, that's, a, that's not, you see, that's not an option. Some, some of these things are looked like as options, but he calls us to save us. And once he saved us, he says, okay, I want you as my child to live like my child should live. I want you to live as a good reflection upon your heavenly father, which requires us to live as saints and to live in a holy walk. And then called to be saints, called to salvation, called to be saints and called to be servants that uh, he saved us to serve as we read a while ago or quoted out of Ephesians 2.10, called to be servants, that we're to serve one another, we're to love each other. 
We're to bring forth fruit. We're to have uh, godly lives. And you see, uh, that is rapidly going away in, quote, Christian circles. The standard of life has been lowered more and more as relativism and, and uh, the mentality of our society, you know, like homosexuality. Well, why should you be judgmental over two people that love each other? How can you be so cruel? Because the Bible calls a sin. And what the Bible calls a sin, we can't call just a, a alternative lifestyle. And so that's that call. But the call we want to talk about even further is that God does have a specific call. And when we mean specific call, we mean a distinct call uh, to the ministry. Now, some believe, and uh, years ago, a guy named Anderson, I knew that lived in Dallas, uh, he believed that, that you don't need a call to the ministry. Because we have a command, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That why should you be called when we've already been commanded? Well, he's confused some things. And as I said, some believe there's no such call as a distinct call to the ministry. They would say, who needs a call when we have a commission? But this is mistaken view, however, because, there are in, in a, uh, because they are intimately connected, uh, but they're, just, they're, they're not the same. The Great Commission was given to the Lord's churches institutionally, whereas the divine call is issued to men individually. And so because we've been commanded to go into all the world, doesn't mean that we're all going to be specifically called of the Lord for that uh, specific purpose. And so what we're going to see in this call to the ministry this specific call, we're going to see that God will call specific individuals. Who? We'll look at the, how the Bible talks about specific people. He will call them for a specific job. What? It may be pastoring. It may be church planning. It may be, uh, you know, the prison ministry or other specific jobs that he's called them to. And he'll lead them to a specific place where. And we're going to note that in uh, Paul's life. But let me uh, just uh, note that who, what, and where in giving you a little testimony here, or maybe a long testimony. Uh, I was raised in eastern Oregon. Uh, small ranch country, and at 13 years old, uh, I was saved. The churches in that area had, uh, had family camp, which was uh, family, uh, families from the different churches came, and they would hold a camp at a place up in the Ochico Mountains of Eastern Oregon uh, yearly, 
And me being from redneck country, thought only wimps went to camp when you could be working in the summer. And ever since I was 13 years old, I worked for paying jobs in the summer, cleaning horse stalls, hauling hay, building fences, uh, different things to earn money. And uh, there came a year when I was 16 years old that uh, our, our church was actually, they would take turns in who sponsored the camp. And our church was responsible for sponsoring the camp. And it was about 30, maybe 40 miles away. And so that, that year, uh, the pastor encouraged us all to go to Sunday services at the camp. And so my family did. We didn't have Sunday services at home. Maybe somebody stayed there, I'm not sure, but he encouraged all of us that could to go. And uh, so we went, and then I was gonna go, we went back home to, for me to get back to work and my dad start Monday. But we went, and uh, there was, a, of course, uh, a message preached. I think we stayed for the, was there for the morning message and then for the afternoon message. But a message was preached, and the invitation was given, and uh, I became very uh, stirred inside of myself. I, I clearly knew that something supernatural was going on in my life, something spiritual was happening, that God was stirring me. And, and uh, so, very much like when he was calling me to salvation. And so, that bothered me, so I bowed my head and I said, Lord, if I'm not saved, I want to get saved. I, want, I, want, I don't want to struggle with this. I want to be saved. And uh, immediately, <clears throat> the Bible says that his spirit communes with our spirit, that we're the sons of God. Immediately, I had peace about it. There was no, there was no disturbance or conviction or a drawing of the Lord in my life concerning salvation. And so that was good enough for me. And the services were dismissed and, and uh, we went to the cookhouse and ate and then we went home. And the next Sunday, the pastor had come back and from camp, and he got up and he wanted to uh, tell our church about some things that had happened at camp, and just tell them the blessings for those that weren't able to go. And he got up and he began to talk, and he said that, you know, some were saved, and then he told this story of that there was a young man there who was disturbed about some things in his heart, but he couldn't figure out why he was disturbed. And he said, of course, all, our preachers, all the preachers knew. And I thought, that sounds like me. And how in the world can the preachers know what's going on? You know, what's, what's that all about? And then he said, yeah, and before the week was over, this young man surrendered to the ministry. And uh, 
when he said that, it was like, um, like I said this morning, it was like an anvil fell upon my heart. And from that very moment until five years later, I told God, this ain't happening. This ain't happening. <laughs> I'm not going to be miserable the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to preach. And, uh, and I worded a prayer to that effect. I told God, listen, you can kill me, but I'm not preaching. I'd rather take death than preaching. And so I'm sitting in church service one day, and it's in October, and my dad had to, he was in the fuel oil business, and he had to take a fuel truck full of gasoline out to a town that was about 60 miles away because so many... It was, it was in October was hunting season and there were so many hunters coming through that the, the station had run out of fuel and my dad was taking a load up there and he's going off the mountain and this deer jumped out of the ditch, hit his fender. The fender <coughs> went right into the tire on that side and stopped the tire immediately and it flipped the truck and all the gas tanks, all the fuel tanks on the truck were tore off, going down the road with sparks flying. And uh, he came in to church to get us so I could, somebody could drive him to the doctor. My mom was a basket case. Here I am, a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid, driving my dad to the doctor. He's, his skulls all looked like they tried to scalp him. His skull was laid back. And... Uh, and uh, As I'm driving him to the nearest, it was the nearest place was a clinic. The hospital was over 100 miles away, so we went to a clinic, and uh, the Lord said, "I'm not going to kill you, but I can. Uh, I can touch people closer than your own life." And you understand that I'm not saying that he said those things vocally. But they were clear, clear messages sent to my heart. And uh, I knew I was called to preach. And uh, went off to, made it, made, it, made it vocal, told the church, but never intended to follow through. Went off to a four-year secular college. Only took a, about a half a year in secular college to know how to go gamble with the boys. I never did drink or that kind of stuff because I, I knew that was seriously wrong. But I uh, lived a college life. And when I came back home to work for my father, uh, the Lord just began to deal on me more and more. And I uh, surrendered to the ministry. And then that was the who Definitely, I knew that God wanted me to preach the gospel. So, you know, you can only preach what you know. And so, 
there was no church, uh, my church or any churches in the area that was under the conviction that a church should train its own men. So I went off to a Bible school in Dallas, Texas. They sent me a map how to get to Dallas. I came from a county in eastern Oregon that didn't had, it had about 1,500 people, a big county, <laughs> and no stoplights in the whole county. And here I get to Dallas, and there's six-lane freeways going both, both ways, you know. And they drew me a map how to get to college, but they didn't draw me a map how to get out of there. And it was like Dallas, Texas was like living on Mars to me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember going into town, I saw a dead, dead uh, possum in the road, and I said, I need to remember that because that's where I'll need to turn when I come back. And that's just Eastern Oregon thinking, you know. <laughs> but the possum was gone. <laughs> but they didn't draw me a map how to get out of there. And uh, I was there for about three days. School hadn't started. And here I am, 22 years old, homesick. I go over to the Safeway store. We had no cell phones. This is ancient history. Go over to call my mom on a payphone. And here, 22 years old, crying like a baby, wanting to go home. And uh, she said, well, let's stick it out. Maybe when school starts, things will be better. And it was when I got my mind busy, and it was better. But I'll have to tell you, even though I spent two and a half years and graduated with a master's degree, the best picture of Texas, or the best, best view of Texas, was in a rear view mirror. And I don't care if they ever go back. But it was there in that college that a man by the name of Charles Thomas gave a lecture on home missions. And he emphasized different areas of America that needed churches. And one of those areas was the Pacific Northwest. I was from the Pacific Northwest. But I clearly remember God dealing with me about the need to take the gospel and plant churches in the Pacific Northwest. I went through some training at school, went through some training with working with a home missionary in Virginia and Maryland area in West Virginia. And I went back to Oregon and tried to establish some churches. And the best part of that part of my life was uh, I met my wife met the girl that was going to become my wife. And God was working even in all of that. Never did start a church, but the hand of God was in all of that. There was some learning to be done. And then, so that was the why, the what, who was me, the what was to plant churches and to pastor as church planners and and then there came 
a call on the phone nearly uh, 30 years ago that a friend of mine who was out of the same church that I was out of when I went to Oregon and Pacific Northwest in Washington, uh, he called from North Pole, Alaska, and he said that he'd been there for about five years, they're building a building, this one is over here, and uh, they're about ready to have their first service in there, and they wanted to have a revival meeting when they had that service, and that he wanted me to come and preach the revival meeting. And so I said, sure, you know, I love to preach. Uh, not very much was, I wasn't burning, burning up things in Vancouver, Washington. I had some, I had, I had, I had uh, knocked doors. One time this family came, and uh, I think there was about a family of four or five in it, parents and three kids, and they come back on Sunday night. They come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I thought, man, there might be something here because it was just uh, me and Susie and maybe a, another family, and uh, and the next Sunday they didn't come, and so I thought, well, maybe I should look them up because they gave me their address. So I went to look them up and see what was going on, see if I could talk to them further because they did come twice, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I knocked on the door, and they pulled up the shade and looked out the window and saw it was me and wouldn't even open the door. And so that was, uh, that was the way it was. And uh, at that time, there was a, I'm making this a long story, aren't I? Uh, I'll preach fast after this. <laughs> uh, and so I got discouraged, and there was a missionary out of Rogers Baptist Church that was going to Africa, and he was looking for a young man to go with him. And I looked at Susan, I said, I think we're going to Africa because any place was better than Vancouver, Washington. And Lord wasn't in that. But I came up here and was holding the meeting and preaching for this church that was going to be organized in June. And about Thursday of the week, started on Sunday, preached through Thursday, the missionary that was here He's like he's got ants in his pants. He's, you know, he's just all nervous, all nervous. And so he said, we got to talk. I said, okay. He said, get in the car. So we got in the car and drove down the road. And he said, this church is going to organize in June. And I feel like that the Lord wants me to go and plant some other churches, some other places. And I've been praying that who should, you know, come and take over because I don't want to just leave within without a pastor. And he said, every time I pray, your name comes up. And I thought, man, what is a, what is a Baptist preacher doing smoking dope? Everybody knows it's cold in Alaska. I have no friends in Alaska. I have no family in Alaska. And Alaska is about the last place I ever want to go. So I was pretty, pretty, pretty sure that he wasn't talking to the same God that I was talking to. Friday night came, and I felt like there was a message that I should uh, preach to the church, 
not a salvation message, but a message just to the mission that, mission that was going to become a church, and I had it all ready. But I had no, I had no peace about it, and none of you are preachers here, but uh, except a few, Brother Gerth, and and uh, I just felt like maybe the Lord wants me to preach a salvation message, and so I'd been studying John chapter four, and I knew I knew I could preach from John chapter four without any notes. And so I flipped over there, and I began to read, uh, begin to work in my mind how I could make some logical thoughts concerning salvation. And in John chapter 4, as I was running my eyes over it, I came down to the verse in John chapter 4, where the Bible said, I sent you to labor where other men have labored that you might enter into their works, their labor. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like training a mule. Uh, this guy had a mule that he couldn't get to do what he wanted to, and so his neighbor said, I'll take care of him for you. And so he brought him over to his neighbor and he had the mule out there in the pen and the mule uh, was not doing what he's supposed to do, and the guy reached over at the fence, and he had a two-by-four, and he whacked the mule right in the head and knocked him down to his knees with the two-by-four. He said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're trying to kill my mule? And he said, no, I'm just getting his attention. Well, the Lord got my attention. And uh, I, that very moment, right in the middle of that meeting, I was, I was called to aware to North Pole, Alaska. And this has been my home. And uh, to be in God's, right in the center of God's will is the very best place you can live your life. And uh, I've been blessed. I've been greatly blessed. Not only is Alaska the best state in the Union, but I've been blessed with many people who've been my friends and uh, see the Lord work in men's lives, see souls saved. And so Paul, when we read about Paul, we find that Paul maintains that there is a specific call to a who, in 1 Timothy 1 and 12, Paul, in writing to Timothy and encouraging Timothy, this young preacher that had, you know, great thoughts of heart at times, Paul said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That that coming to Alaska, driving, driving the Alcan, being the first pastor of a church, this church as it was organized, the problems the first year, serious problems. Uh, this verse, you know, 
is true. That God enables his men that he calls. And it's God that puts men into the ministry. If you go over to the 26th chapter of Acts, Paul is speaking to uh, King Agrippa. In 26 and verse 13, he said, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shine round about me, and then was journeying with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice saying unto me in the Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. And so Paul's conversion and his call is here. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which I will appear unto thee. Deliver thee from the people and from Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And so Paul testifies to the fact that he was called. And then, uh, and as, as a church, you know, as a church, we need to be praying that God would call specific men Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. This church needs to be a seedbed for preachers. And we need to call that God would, would call men. And, uh, and Paul had a specific calling upon his life. And then he called him to a specific job. And we read about that in our opening text, how that he was at Antioch as a pastor teacher there at Antioch. And one of the, the leaders, and Simeon and those others there in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, and the Bible says, the Holy Ghost spoke to the brethren and said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And this was Paul's distinct call to a particular ministry. He went from a pastor to an evangelist, a church planner, a planning, and church planning became his ministry for the, for the rest of his life. And, and, and so we have the who, but then we have the what, and Paul goes from, from uh, here being called to, from Antioch to, I have a hard time remembering Antioch today, to, to Antioch to establish churches uh, for the Lord. Now, what I want you to, to understand again is that 
you may be saying here, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in God's will. I'm doing what God wants me to do. God has given me this employment, and I'm at peace here. But what I'm trying to get to, whether God calls you, to understand that God does call specifically. He makes it very known. It's very real. And all that stuff I relate to you personally, you can think that I ate, uh, you know, too many dill pickles or something, and different things are going along. But no, it was real. And it could be uh, that the things that happened, it could be backed up with similar events in the scripture. But what I want you to see is that, that Placro Baptist Church, that we are connected to the Lord working and calling specific people. In Acts chapter 13, he says, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work I call him. He's speaking to the church at Antioch, that they're a part of this. And then if you go over to Acts chapter 14 and, and verse uh, 27, when they were come and gathered the church, he had been on his first missionary journey, he come and gathered the church, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door unto the Gentiles, and there they abode a long time with the disciples. It doesn't tell us the emotions that are going on here, but it does tell us that the fact that they just didn't drift in there and, and not say anything, but they were saying, hey, listen what God has done. Listen, I, you, you separated me and Barnabas. You sent us out. Now, let me tell you what God has done. We heard this morning, and I didn't share it with you, but that Noah has, has the green light uh, to, to start services up again, and he did. And those Syrian believers and others that are there, there even the non-believers, were saying how much they missed Noah, how much they missed the services, how glad they have to do it again. Noah was able to do an eye clinic. And those are all things that, that, that we need to rejoice in, that he's not, or he shouldn't be, uh, just uh, out there on his own, that he's part of us. And, and so when they come back here, he rehearses with the church, and, and they, then he abode a long time with them. He stayed there with the church. He was one of them. That this call to the ministry, again, uh, I know that we're body of Christ, and, and, and that's different between the family of God. But there ought to be, as I started this out, there ought to be an emotional attachment to Ron Lambert. There ought to be an emotional attachment to Noah George, that he is, he is part of us. And that we should be proud of him and not in an ungodly way. Proud that God would use him. And, and, and we, ought to, we ought to long for God to call men to the ministry. And then you'll see in chapter 15, in verse 36... And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, 
who departed from Pamphylia and went out with them to the work. And so uh, John Mark flew the white flag. He, he didn't stay, stick it out. And so they separate. And the Bible says in verse 40, And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren. The church had to okay them. The church had to recommend them. The church, the church was connected at the hip with him. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming uh, the churches. And so we see, we see a specific call to a person, a specific job, a church planter. And then there's going to be uh, there's going to be a specific place. In Acts chapter 13, it said, and having been sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia. That there's going to be a place to serve. Now let me just say, chase a little rabbit here. Sometimes men are called to preach. They're said they're called to pastor or they're said they're called to be a missionary. But then they run around trying to force open a place. Or may even get mad and leave a church. And they go and they say, God's leading me to start another church. When he may be, may not be. We can't create our own place. That when God calls a man, he has a place for that man. He will. And uh, I know that our prison ministry and pioneer home ministry kind of been put on hold of this crazy COVID. But God has a place. And then when he gets to Acts 16, when he's going to go out again, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul, and there stood a man of Bastille and prayed, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. And, uh, and it's interesting here that there was a man saying, come over to help us. And when they got over there, there was a woman, Lydia, that they dealt with. But God called him to a specific area. And so Paul and his team were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, Mysia, and Bithynia. These were all places, every one of these places needed the word of God. But the Lord directed Paul through a dream in the night. Uh, verse 10, Luke records, they assuredly gathered, understanding that the Lord had called them for us to preach the gospel unto them. And so we know that over a period of time, the, the where changes. Paul established church in Corinth. He's, he established one, you know, in Berea. Uh, he moves from Philippi in different places. His churches are started, but it's distinctly led by the Spirit of God. When you have a, a young preacher that's trying to find a place to light, what he needs to do is just sit still and be trained. And then God will open a door for him. And it was kind of interesting with Brother Lambert, you know. He come to me one day, and, he, and he's, he's anxious to do something. He's wanting to do something. And that's good. That's not bad. 
if you have a, a young preacher, uh, when I say young preacher, I don't mean, uh, let me not even use that term because I, I have a real knee-jerk reaction between preacher boys and preachers. Every preacher is a preacher. They're called by God. And there's no preacher boys, but preachers. And so, Brother Lambert was younger than me, but not necessarily less wise than me. But he said, I want to go to Galena. God's calling me to Galena. He's just been to Galena. He said, God's calling me to Galena. I said, well, okay. Why don't you fly up there first and just kind of look it over? Spend a week up there. <laughs> he flew up there, and he was two days. He wasn't a week. He was two days, and he called me and said, ah, God didn't call me to Galena. <laughs> well, it was a learning curve, okay? And then he stayed here, and Noah gets saved. Some other people from down that area uh, where Noah grew up was coming to church. And Ron goes down there, and one thing, Lord leads to another thing. And now he's pastoring a church in the Kenai Peninsula down there in Manilche. And my grandsons and granddaughters and my daughter and my son-in-law attend there. And so, so uh, he calls to a specific place, and uh, that uh, can change. Who, what, and where. Divine call embraces all three aspects of who, what, and where. First comes the call to preach, which never changes. For the gifts and the callings of God without repentance. I knew a guy when I was going to Rogers Baptist Church. He was assistant pastor. He, uh, he filled in when Brother Thomas was gone. He went and pastored a church in East Texas. He was a guy who pushed, pushed, pushed. And these were old East Texans that had been there for a long time. And, you know, they let him push. and They did what they, what they wanted to do. But anyway, he got frustrated. And he went back. He had graduated from college with a teaching degree, so he went back and taught public school. Well, uh, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And if God calls you to preach, he never changes that. You may do something that disqualifies you, but he never changes his mind. He never repents of it. And that's usually followed by some preparation and some training and then using you and the Lord opening the door and, uh, and you being used in a specific place. So what's this all about? Well, I think that Josh should surrender and Ron should surrender. Caleb should surrender. Jordan should surrender. Jock should get his act together. Mike should step up to the bat. Doug's not too old. Chris got a little more hair. He's letting it grow out. But it doesn't matter what I think. But God does call men. And we as a church ought to pray about that. 
and realize that we all play a role. Some of the greatest blessings in my life in developing a preacher was not the Bible school education I got, which I needed. But it was somebody, just some old, I remember one time sitting at a table at this conference and this man, old man sitting across from me and uh, he asked me who, who I was. And I, I, I told him my name. His name was Foster, I remember that. And he looked at me and he said, I pray for you every Monday morning. Sometimes just a church member coming along a young preacher and saying, we're for you, we're praying for you. What I'm trying to say this afternoon is don't be disconnected from God working and calling specific men to the ministry. And don't particularly be disconnected from Brother Noah, who is ours. He's our man. And uh, let's not forget where he's at. And let's have the boldness. Let's have the intestinal fortitude. Let's have the surrender to say, Lord, we're praying the Lord of the harvest. He sent forth labors into the harvest. But let's realize also that that prayer can be disgenuous if you don't say, Lord, if it's me, I'll go. Can you trust him? Absolutely. You're dismissed.